Hello and welcome to the Film Classification Podcast from the BBFC. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. It's simple. Kill the Batman. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Yes, it's podcast number 13, unlucky for some, and my co-host for this edition is, from the archive department, deep in the basement, Jennifer Evans. Hello. Jen, to her friends. Is it Jen? I'm going to call you Jen, because that's what I call Jen you. would be delightful, yes please. Jen is who you are. Jen looks after the BBFC archive, which is a rich, varied, quirky, mysterious body of files and pixels now and data and uh, we are going to have a delicious delve into that a little later aren't we we certainly are i've built it up a lot but it is an exciting uh, i'm not sure where i'm going to go from here to I, be I think it's a really exciting <laughs> topic and I'm, I'm really pleased that we're doing it um but as always we have a couple of other bits and pieces we have an interview with the president we have to stand up for that bit our new president patrick swaffer is guesting on the podcast today but first let's find out a little bit more about my co-host. Now, Jen, the main reason I think that you're on the podcast is because you have not stopped going on to me about being on it. That's embarrassing. For months and months. Can I have an archive tape, please, Jen? When am I going to be on the podcast, James? Well, that's been the conversation, hasn't it's it? It's a bargaining chip. Uh, yeah, absolutely. but that, I, I need that archive tape in the course of my professional work of course i would not interfere with the process of classification in any way but um james <laughs> you know full well that uh you said i could be on this podcast a long time yeah. ago roundabout podcast didn't realize two. it was contractual well it was <laughs> it's just a conversation now i'm delighted i'm 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 gently mocking you, as you can tell. <laughs> I'm, you? I'm delighted you're here. So, Jen, tell us a little bit about uh, your background. How did you get to the BBFC? Well, I used to work um, when I left university. Well, at university, I read English and some film studies. And then I went back to my hometown and worked in the university library. Which is? Canterbury. Canterbury. So, I worked in the university library and I got to work in a couple of departments, but... I had a great time working in the Cartoon Centre, which is now the British Cartoon Museum, so lots of political cartoons, not filming. And then um, I went and did a master's degree in film studies with film archiving. And once I'd finished that, it was like fate, because I contacted the BBFC to say, don't suppose you've got any jobs going in my field. And lo and behold, they were recruiting an archives assistant. So that was, oh, nine years ago in September. Gosh, a couple of years before I joined the board. Bringing it back to you. Well done. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You overmodded me again. I'm sorry. You've got to move away if you're going to lie. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) We were talking about you, weren't we? Yeah. Um, God, we went on quite a long time, though. You you asked my life story. You got it. I didn't. I just asked that. You got uh, it. So I was very fortunate to join the board. Okay. Jen, thank you for joining us today. And we're going to talk about the archive in a lot of detail a little bit later. Uh, The news items. Out this week, the annual report. We have the DCMS consultation on exemptions. You remember that we've talked about this in the past on the podcast, that certain videos are exempt, dating back to the 1984 origins of the Video Recordings Act, where the government's looked at that in music videos, and others, uh, as it turns out, are going to probably lose their exemption, but we're um, going through that consultation period with the government now talking to the industry. But one of the key areas that really stands out if you look at the annual report is the rise of digital submissions over the last 12 months. Um, This has been, well, it's testament to the great change in the industry, certainly being felt here in Soho Square. The number of online-only classifications rose by 40%. 
The number of companies using the BBFC's watch and rate service, this is just for online, if you're just streaming, um, that's doubled now. We've got 11 new platforms licensed to use the BBFC ratings on the internet. That includes household names now like Netflix and Sony PlayStation, Microsoft Xbox and Sainsbury's. British Airways, Virgin Atlantic joining the BBFC family of ratings. And that's really, I suppose, Jen, because you've seen this going from paper and tape to DVD and Blu-ray and now digital archive. I have, yeah. You're, you're kind of at the coalface here, aren't you? I am at the coalface. I think it's really incredibly useful because you see such an enormous range of content coming at you from all sorts of formats and and uh, and sources that to have something constant like uh, the BBFC certificate is incredibly useful. A calming force in choppy waters, yeah, is that what you're saying? It's a, a, good, a useful guiding hand, you want something that's consistent. Yeah. Well I think it's bewildering for parents isn't it, um, well, the different platforms. I consider myself pretty savvy in this department <laughs> you are. and um, I do, and I, even I, I'm slightly overwhelmed by internet streaming and it's not something I particularly I'm a bit old-fashioned I tend to stick with DVDs and blu-rays and so I suppose we would say this wouldn't we because we work here but actually I think having that BBFC certificate come up in front of content at least gives them that level of assurance that they receive on other platforms and yeah I genuinely think that is the case for an awful lot of people it's it's a pretty daunting yeah thing to switch your laptop on or click through to something and you know, what's come, what's going to start playing? Have no idea. Well, yeah. it's, a, it's a big topic, of course, and the politicians are all over it they at the moment. They at the moment, yeah. Uh, I wanted to mention the mobile content decision, which you may have seen in the press. The BBFC is to take over responsibility for mobile content. We're not going to get a huge amount of content in here. It's not quite like that. It's more to do with us taking over the classic framework, which operators use to determine when materials need to be restricted. And what film am I going to mention? I'm going to mention Lovelace, which is released in August. Uh, This is Amanda Seyfried playing the part of Linda Lovelace, who, of course, was in Deep Throat and uh, later became a campaigner against pornography. Have you seen, by the way, the list of people in Lovelace? Everybody, everybody's in Lovelace. I mean, obviously Amanda Seyfried. Sharon Stone, James Franco, Peter Sarsgaard, Hank Azaria, Chloe Sevigny. Oh, she's very good. Did yeah. I say that right? That's it. That's quite a line up. Quite a lot. Chris North, I think, is in there. Uh, so is... Peter Sarsgaard and Amanda Seafried reunited after ABBA. Was it Mamma Mia were they in together? <laughs> Have I made that up? Yes, I think that's right. Maybe yeah. that's where the idea for doing a Lovelace oh, biopic no, no, no. came up. That's quite the train of thought, but yeah. Okay, our main interview for Podcast 13 is with our new president, Patrick Swaffer. I say new, actually, he was appointed in the autumn of last year, but it's quite an induction period and training period, some of which is uh, quite fun and some of which is quite unpleasant, I can tell you. Um, But he's fully ensconced in the organisation now, having taken over fully from Sir Quentin Thomas. And a few minutes ago, hot off the press, I had a chat with Patrick and a little get-to-know-you conversation. Congratulations on your appointment as president. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, where have you come from? Um, well, I've come from Islington because that's where I live. Um, you probably want to know where I work before. Well, is that what you're interested in? It's interesting to know that you come from Islington, <laughs> but also from a professional point of view. Uh, well, I was a solicitor for nearly 35 years, uh, working with a firm called Goodman Derrick. I spent nearly the whole of that time working with broadcasters and book publishers and some newspaper work, but that was limited. So I guess media is sort of the word they'd use these days for that specialism. Uh, And how did that evolve? Was that just a personal interest or...? 
Uh, it, it fell into my lap. I joined the firm and a partner left and there was nobody else really to do the work, so it came to my desk. And it was at a time, we're talking late-ish 70s, it was a time when media law was not particularly highly regarded or popular, whereas now it's very highly regarded and very popular. Yeah, the sector's grown yes. hugely and is complicated today. Yes. Which yes. is presumably lots of good news for lawyers working in that sector. Good news for lawyers. Yes. Um, before you came to the BBFC, and, and you've had an involvement, we should say that you've had an involvement in the organisation before your appointment as president. Just outline that. Well, I first started working with James Furman in a, the early 1980s. Certainly I was involved when the Video Recordings Act was going through Parliament in 1983, and I've worked pretty much constantly since then in one way or another with the board. Sometimes it's been quite intensive. There's been a number of things which have needed to be dealt with. Sometimes I didn't hear from you for six months or so. Uh, and I can imagine the James Furman era was relatively interesting. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of things happened in this building during that period uh, uh, that shaped really the framework, the legal framework that we operate in today. Yes, that's right. I mean, James was a very dynamic character. Um, a lot happened during his long period of uh, rule, some may call it, yeah. um, after which uh, things changed very dramatically with Robin Duval coming and have continued to change with David Cook. In particular, I think the major change you identify is the public consultation and the openness and transparency of the board. And you have this podcast as part of that, uh, or a symbol, really, of how transparent we are. I yes, guess. absolutely. Yeah. Okay, um, personal things, favourite film? Uh, God, this is really tricky. Yeah. Um, because I, I'm not sure... Well, everybody has lots of favourite films, lots of favourite books. Um, so I think what I plump for, because I'd like to promote this film, mm. is a German film called Lives of Others, mm. which I think is a wonderfully humane and interesting film about a totalitarian state, about the way they watch people, the corruption that occurs as a result of the power, and the humanity of those involved in it, and the redemption of one particular Stasi member. Mm. Yes, I, I completely agree with you. I thought that film was thoroughly absorbing. And if I could remember it, there's a book, I think, that is almost a companion, written by an Australian journalist about the Stasi, and she really went around and found the old men now who were those people who and it was an absolutely brutal police organization yeah no I, well I'd be, I'd be really interested to read the book yeah i will find it before the end of the interview when i come back into the podcast because we've mentioned it i will have got the um got the name okay great great choice i think um where do you stand in terms of will you go to the cinema and watch a big hollywood blockbuster with some popcorn or do you reserve yourself for more art house films like lives of others uh, no i Hollywood blockbusters are great. Hmm. Um, I'd avoid the popcorn. My wife eats the popcorn and I get irritated. Oh, yeah, well, by, the, by the noise. I've got yes. friends like that, but I do, I do like my popcorn. Okay, um, let's move on to a little bit about the current framework then. Uh, classification in 2013 and going forward, is it still relevant? Yes, um, I think it's relevant for a number of reasons. The, two, the principal one is that it provides a useful method by which parents can judge whether or not material is appropriate for their children. And I think it helps protect vulnerable members of society. So I think those are the two reasons for continuing to do it. And indeed, those are the two reasons 
that classification process was introduced under the Video Recordings Act and continues for films. How have you found? You've been in post for a few months now, and I know there's a bit of a difference between taking an interest in the role, and I found this when you become an examiner, and in your case a president, when suddenly you're being confronted with films, with DVDs, and being asked to make a decision. How have you found that? Interesting, challenging. I've enjoyed every moment of it. And yes, you're right, it's different. When you're an outside advisor, you're semi- I, I always felt I was semi-detached, which is a correct lawyer's role. You should be semi-detached. You shouldn't be part of the organisation because you have to take an independent, impartial role. Um, but when you're in here, what you want to do is look at policy, encourage the examining body, get involved in the day-to-day decision-making process... And it makes you work hard and it makes you think intellectually and analytically about the issues involved. And all of that I've really enjoyed. Okay, Patrick, thank you very much indeed. I hope you'll be a regular guest on our podcast in the future, but uh, enjoy your time here. I certainly will if I've got anything interesting to say, which I doubt. (laughs) I'm sure you will. Thank you. The President, Patrick Swaffer, talking to me a few minutes ago, and uh, I'm getting old and memory recalls not what it was, but the book I was trying, fumbling to get towards with Patrick, is called Stasiland by Anna Funder, uh, and it's uh, it's that telling the tale of what happened to those members of the Stasi uh, in the years after the Berlin Wall came down. Right, we're going to delve into the archive. As I say, rich and varied, stretches back, well, Jen, let's start with that, actually. How far back does the archive go? I suppose there's both the physical archive and the paper archive. There are the two sides, yep. We have a physical media archive, which runs from around 1984, which is when the Video Recordings Act was introduced. And as part of the Video Recordings Act, we are required to maintain a copy of everything that we give a classification to. So every work that comes in, all those VHS tapes and today Blu-rays, Mountains. We, we keep that, physically keep that somewhere. We do. Um, and it's, well, it would have started as VHS, or the variations on that theme. Betamax, Betamax. V2000, your, Laserdisc. All the, all the stuff you have at home, yeah. Yep. And um, got it. then to Blu-ray, DVD, then Blu-ray, and now digital file-based submissions. So um, what we don't keep are film prints. They're always collected by the film distributors after we've viewed them. Okay. Or not film prints now. And of course, digitally. yeah, DCPs now, the, the files. But of course, the film is not done under the Video Recordings Act. It's done under a different act. The That's why we act, don't have to maintain an archive of that No material. requirement. And in the Jim Furman area, there would have been bits of films on the floor. Yes, <laughs> a few little snippets. The stories of, of scissors being brought into the building to... Um, to make the changes guess, necessary. Yeah, working quickly, yeah. Yeah. So um, just a couple of things before we get into some of the interesting, quirky bits of the archive. Where do we keep all those VHS cassettes? Well, the VHS cassettes used to be kept when I started all those years ago uh, in a combination of uh, a storage area in Soho and also we rented a storage space not too far from here actually, um, around Tottenham Court Road, there was a facility that used all the old tube tunnels um, that during the war had been uh, kind of bunks for soldiers and then they turned it into stor- uh, rental storage space. So this is disused tube, yeah, a disused tube station and yeah, tunnel. Yeah, all the tunnels. So that's where they were for a long time. Well, dry down there I guess. Yeah, yeah, all you know, temperature control and everything everything right so 
we were keeping them there but then not long after I started we the end of VHS as we knew it was looming VHS players were starting to become unavailable particularly given the volume of work we put through here we were using a technical heavy duty VHS kit and that was just becoming almost impossible to get hold of so it was obvious that we were going to have to migrate to another format so we already had DVDs coming in so we thought we would jump straight forward to digital land and the VHS tapes were over a number of years digitised and DVDs that's ongoing because we still receive DVDs so um, once that was done they're kept in a secure again temperature uh, environmentally controlled environment outside of London now okay so we still so this, keep the original we still do keep those VHS yeah just in case there's any kind so. of corruption or any not corruption yeah. that sort. I, know, I know what you mean yes data corruption yes oh. so <laughs> yeah, um trouble security to floor floor. <laughs> oh sorry you're not over modding again no you didn't over mod then that's fine really yeah don't tell me off um Okay, so I think that, um, and just so people know, we use the archive in that if you get, for instance, a submission of a 1980s film, may not have been in since the 1980s, quite often we get films, more often than you'd think, actually never got a VHS or a video home entertainment release, so they would, we just have what's called an AFF file, paper file, i.e. they were seen in the cinema, so we'll go to you, we'll send an email and say, could you call this tape back and... In the old days, we used to get physical tape back, but now, increasingly, we go online and look at a digitised version of it. That's right. And we'll just check a cut It's a, a comparison, yeah, that's made to see what the differences are between what you're looking at that's been submitted today and what was seen way back, whenever. Way back then. Now, the most interesting, I think, the most interesting aspect of your job, I'm sure you do as well, are the old paper files. because yeah, they, they are lovely. They make fascinating reading, don't they? Now, they do go back... Uh, much further than 1984 they will have we have files paper files from around the mid 50s and we have ledgers which have much more basic information uh, right back to 1913 so day right. one that the shop opened we have uh, a, at least a basic account of everything that we've seen and is that there's also the exceptions lists. Were, yes. Were they, they're later development, were they? This is what we would have removed from a film. So a cuts list, yes. So yeah. the origin of the phrase or the term an exceptions list is that we took exception to the following uh, material yeah. in the film. I okay. did not know that. You've learnt something there. Mm -hmm. So we, the paper files from the 50s on, they are generally quite um, meaty. If the cuts were made, there's a cuts list in there and also hopefully examiner reports the ledgers from 1913 to well they run to the mid 90s but they they're a much more basic it's just title um runtime well footage mm. and um the distributors so basic information but no examiner reports and it will say if it was cut but it won't say what was cut okay so the examiner reports are a little bit patchy over the decades then as far as because it's always useful for us to read the reports the reports are you know the the heart of everything yeah. so unfortunately there was um it was a bit of a, a mystery i think uh, some material was lost during the wars the, Blitz, the yeah. second world war so um 
things literally went up in smoke and also I think unfortunately I discovered this not too long ago through going through some files that a little bit like the BBC and their kind of lost Doctor Who's and Mm. things that just got put in a skip I think as I understand it that a a chunk of file work was thrown out to make space Uh, which is uh, as an archivist does that make you oh it hurts that's gotta hurt you've brought a selection of paper files haven't you I have I've got some interesting bits and bobs that I thought you'd like to see um as I'm travelling through and looking at these things, I like to spot the ones that are sort of slightly interesting. Uh, one that I came across the other day was for The Tingler, 1960. Ooh, good night. William Castle film. And um, what I thought was kind of interesting in that one, yeah, yeah. go have a look. It's got uh, the examiner's report. And we weren't... It's had an awful lot of screaming in it, which... Screaming? Yeah, which we were a bit sensitive about because we were worried that that there's a note that a, a savvy cinema manager theoretical manager may think it's a good idea to pop someone in the audience to scream because it was in that the period of cinema where it was kind of you know you got million dollar life insurance with your popcorn and uh, so we had to make sure that they didn't have excessive screaming to frighten people but it was agreed in the end, and it went out. So X. no excessive screaming. I think we, they did trim some of the screams. Okay, and, and there's a letter from the secretary of the board dated the seventh of March, nineteen sixty, which starts off: "We have now seen your film, The Tingler, twice. It is almost unpleasant film, and in its present form, we are not prepared to give you a certificate." Not an uncommon start to a letter to a distributor. In the no, 1960s, sadly, they were probably used to it then. But yeah, um, and then letters back from Columbia Pictures, all on their lovely headed note paper. Um, Sorry about the uh, sirens outside. It was a busy <laughs> part not, of town. I told you I'd never forget about that streetcar in Rosario. Yeah. <laughs> this is it. <laughs> Come to get me. Come up and... Um, and as you say, yeah, close-ups of people screaming. They say, here's the exceptions. Girl attacked by the tingler in the theatre. And the following announcement, also the second announcement when the screen goes dark. I think that's the thing because there's, there's a sequence where the tingler escapes in a cinema on film and so they would have enhanced that They were worried about the real world link of the viewing experience. Well, Yeah, four dimensional viewing experience essentially. I tell you, I've got a lovely one here for you. The um, a telegram, wow. cablegram sent to us in 63 no, which was displayed in our centenary exhibition last year at the BFI and at the University of no that was displayed in our centenary exhibition last year at the BFI South Bank um, by kind permission of uh, Gregory Peck's family. Uh, his daughter, Cecilia, said that we may show this. It's a, a telegram he sent us following the classification of Cape Fear. So this is to John Trevelyan. This is a telegram from Greg Peck. And I'll just read it. It's brief. Dear John, having given interview to Roderick Mann explaining and defending British changes and cuts in Cape Fear, have stated that thanks to British censors, it is a much better film than the version seen in America. Hope I am accurately quoted. Will appreciate you mailing me the article when it appears. Kind regards, Greg Peck. Which is very nice. Which and is very nice. Of course, I show off about one that said we'd be Yeah. Oh, wonderful. And that's, uh, that's a lovely old Western Union cablegram from Greg Peck. But it's, it's a pretty special in the archive. You have, as is the nature of the job, in many cases, letters from directors and producers... No, very notable names. Yeah, um, we've got some Hitchcock letters, haven't we? Yeah, there's a lot, an awful lot of very important stuff knocking around, which we 
wouldn't reproduce. It's not our copyright, but um, and it's, it's uh, there. I think I've mentioned before, I think I had The Deadly Affair, which is a 1960s uh, thriller, Sidney Lumet um, film. And there was a lovely letter note from JT saying, enjoyed our lunch yesterday, Sydney. Pretty certain the film will be okay as long as you tone down a couple of bits in it. You know, it's <laughs> just how business was done in the 1960s. Yeah, you, you do spot a few references to lunch and yeah. have a lovely see you again at Christmas. And yeah. Love to the, the husband, love to the wife, that kind of yeah. thing. So it's, it was very genial. And actually that genuinely comes across in as many spats as there were and uh, toing and froing over what should happen to a film and uh, they genuinely there is some a lot of warmth between in the correspondence between the directors and uh, the secretaries of the BBFC at the time and filmmakers uh, they're often very friendly with uh, very warm yeah now I I was thinking that um our archive, our paper archive in particular, all these letters you refer to, the backwards mm. and forwards and the concerns of the censors at the time and the arguments from the industry, uh, are pretty good social history of the oh, UK, aren't they? That's one of the things I love most about The Files is that you see letters from the public through the years, through the decades, which are also kept within the file for each film. And um, they are people worry about the same things now as they did in yeah. 1954, you know, the, these are eternal human concerns about too much violence, the, the effect on youth. I, I have another file with me here somewhere, which was for a film called Black Tuesday, and uh, starred Edward G. Robinson, which I think he's a gangster who goes on the run the this night of his ex- execution. Yeah, 1954 X film. And it's not a letter from the public, but there's a letter in there from the... Uh, direct uh, secretary Arthur Watkins um, he's explaining that they have concerns about films a lot of films coming out with violence and that might emphasize or promote gangster culture and gangster values and yeah. it's these these things are not a million miles off no at all concerns about knife the, the crime concerns in London come up, yeah, and so come on, up today yeah. you know how are young people affected protecting children um, what's acceptable yes there are some differences between what you might see like i have another file where they didn't starting with um a decision made in 1939 i think a film called the birth of a baby they didn't want to show a baby being born on screen and um that decision was upheld i think as a a reject for into the uh, and we should just say that if uh, if you've got a serious purpose behind your research, if you're, for instance, doing a uh, um, a degree or PhD that may involve some of this, our archive is, under those circumstances, open to people to have a look at, isn't it? Absolutely. All the, the contact um, details are on our website. So if you go to the education section, it will, there'll be a, a part that says visit our archives, and, and the, you're welcome to do so. So, Jen, are there any plans to open up the archive to the public? Yes, we are looking to digitise all of the paperwork so that it's easily accessible and visitors that come in to do research will find many of the files have been digitised so they'll be looking at them on a laptop. But we do in the meantime offer our From the Archive strand on our website which um, every couple of weeks will focus on a particular film file and we'll draw out a couple of bits of paper that are particularly interesting. Often the cuts list might be a letter that we sent out. Um, and we just do a mini case study 
but you actually see the scan of the original paperwork and I, I think they're, they're really good little yeah. insights into that's been great that series I've really enjoyed it and it's been a little taste of what we get when I was talking about getting the paper files and really yeah, enjoying exactly. going through yeah. them it's it's exactly that and you, you're also quite clever because you always tie it in with some anniversary or... I try to one of my favorites was um, linking the Chelsea Flower Show with the Day of the Triffids file yeah which is my personal favorite brilliant but try, try and keep it topical so carry on camping for the summer in the hot weather but um yeah try it not yeah we do try to do that and we finally got the star wars one out didn't we because we were thinking about it a while back and you mm-hmm. you got me to write a little personal bit on favorite this. little you. personal favorites <laughs> and i i do enjoy the um i love the re- reports for that because it's difficult to imagine going down into our theater on a daily grind doing the films with no real clue about what this film you've no idea no idea it's gonna be big gonna be huge yeah. and then and the, the the descriptions of it are not i have to say not a hundred percent yeah we, we, the names know, wrong. we know the story inside <laughs> out now so That's i suppose it. it's a bit unfair but um uh, yeah saying yeah it's a local hero farm boy looked a bit like flash gordon and uh seems quite a good romp i think this will be good yeah jolly space romp with yeah. a few robots in it i, I think seem to remember the yeah the spelling of r2d2 and but how would they know and and i think one of them wrote that this this seems fun i'm sure it'll make a you know fair amount of money yeah "Mm, it did yeah Yeah. fair to say (laughs) just to say it made a fair amount uh so that yeah i love those i love to um because with hindsight you know it's great but it's to get that flavor from the, the time uh is is really really interesting jen evans Thank you so much for joining us on Podcast 13. We seem to have got away without any big disasters. Oh, no. At last. (laughs) Yeah, so you'll now cooperate with my request for archive tapes. Um, We'll see about that. You've blotted your copybook there, I'm sorry. Thank you, Jen. My pleasure. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that.